The Lord be with you and also with you. Brothers and sisters, we are in week three of a mini-series called The Art of Neighboring. And in these past couple of weeks, we, are, we have looked at how it is absolutely impossible to separate the love that you have from God from a love of a neighbor. And these two things are absolutely inseparable. Your, your love for God is found to be, needed to be expressing itself in your love that you have for your neighbor. The neighbors who are in your apartment complex, your neighbors who are in your workplace, your neighbors who are right next door or down the street, no matter where you go, the love that you have from God is naturally going to find its way in expressing itself in loving your neighbor. We also discovered, though, that your love for God is, is not just going to produce some kind of uh, uh, an emotive kind of feeling, just a feeling for your neighbor, but it is going to find its way in actually producing a passion for your neighbor. The end result is not just a, oh, I feel sorry or I feel bad for you, but it is going to say, I am going to move towards action, loving you. So this morning, we are going to be talking about how this action of loving our neighbors is found to work itself out best within the context of a covenant community with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ. It happens best when we join together for the cause of Christ in our city, in our neighborhoods, and in our schools. It happens best within the context of our Christian community. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to Revelation chapter 1. And in Revelation chapter 1, we are going to look at the second half of verse 5 and verse 6 to help guide the rest of our morning together. Would you take a moment and stand? We are going to, before we read God's word together, we, go, we are going to ask him for a special blessing for us as we open his word and hear from him this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, with our Bibles now open before us, we ask that you would come and help us by your spirit, illumine the printed pages that are before us. Would you open our minds and make them to be sharp and alert and open to its truth and Lord, would we find that our lives would be quick to welcome its truth and obey it and to live in light of it. So Lord, would you help us in both the speaking and the listening to obey it in such a way that brings honor to you, our living God. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Friends, the word of Christ speaks to us today in this way. Listen. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, thanks be to God. So I don't know if you are the kind of person who is into bumper stickers. Or maybe you're the kind of person who is like me, who finds 
him or herself really following dangerously close on highways or on, on local streets and just trying to find, read the fine print that is written on those little adhesive messages. But here's what I have come to find out recently. Wherever you are on the spectrum of bumper stickers and the tastefulness of bumper stickers, all of us are to be on the lookout for bumper stickers. Not so much what they are saying, because there are all kinds of bumper stickers out there, aren't there? But who are these people who have these bumper stickers? Who are the people who are marking up their cars with messages? You see, Colorado State University, sometime back, did a research study, and in their report, they found out that people with lots of bumper stickers adhered to their car or decals on their car were 16% more likely to succumb to road rage. Road rage, that's right. Guess what I found out even more humorous than that? It didn't matter what the message was on these bumper stickers. The message didn't matter. It was the fact that they had bumper stickers that made them more likely to succumb to road rage. It, it, it didn't matter if it was one cross, Three nails equals four given. You know, those kind of weird kind of Christian uh, bumper stickers. Or if you had adhered to your car, I support the right to bear arms. Or it could have been, my child is an honor roll student. Or it could be, my child gave your honor roll student a swirly. It didn't matter. Both parties, all parties with a lot of uh, bumper stickers or decals on their vehicle is more likely to succumb to road rage than the average person. So according to their study, the rage is all the same. What they came to understand is that the person who put bumper stickers on their car, no matter what the message, is the kind of person who possesses a very strong sense of personal territory. If you put a bumper sticker on your car, you, you tend to personalize your space, the space of your car, like you would personalize the space of your own home or your own yard, a space that you want to guard. So if you mess with my space, I'm going to mess with your space and run you off the road, give you my mind, or give you an obscene gesture. Now, the reality is I'm, I'm not so sure how, how reliable this study really is because we have all kinds of friends who have all kinds of stickers on their cars. And some of these people even go to our church. They have bumper stickers on their car. And it makes you wonder, you know, what kind of people are these people who go to our church and have bumper stickers? Are these the people that Paul is talking about? Listen, many of our these people are wonderful, loving people. And I, I believe that they generally drive pretty well. But one thing that we can relate to is this high sense 
a high scent or high value of place. We have a high value on this sense of place. A high value uh, of of place is is how we we all are kind of wired. Where we live, a, a pride in our territory. Now, some of us love the places that we live in more than other people. But when push comes to shove, every single one of us is going to fight to protect what is ours in the space that we call home. We are going to fight for that, every one of us. And what the Bible says is that these places that we live in, that we love and that we want to protect, these places are given to us by God. They have been given to us by God, and these places that God has given to us are not random. They are given to us for the glory of God. Listen to what Paul has to say in Acts chapter 17. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth. We go, of course. God made Adam and Eve, and from them came all mankind, all nations to live on the face of the earth. Absolutely. I'm all on board for that. But he goes on to say this having determined, determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. This, this is ne- there is never a point in your life, the when, the where, and the why, there is never a point in your, in your life that is not a part of God's sovereign plan. You may think that you have worked with a great realtor to narrow down the the kind of home, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what kind of living space, do I want an open kitchen or a closed kitchen, do I want a galley kitchen, do I want this, what kind of neighborhood do I want to live in? I've worked with my, my realtor to decide how close do I want it to work, to the schools, to the restaurants, to my church. I've worked with all that. Is it close to my leisure activities? Is it close to the state park? Is it close to this place or that place? But in reality, all those things are a part of God's sovereign plan, God's sovereign plan for loving him wholeheartedly and loving people wholeheartedly. There is an unseen engine, if you will, that is arranging everything. You live in this area because God has placed you here. So you live here. You live in your neighborhood for the good of that which God wants you to bring through your life to those who are around you. Do you believe this? That God has placed you in certain places for his plan. There is nothing random, my friends, about where God has placed you. So this brings us back to Revelation chapter 1. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What this passage is telling us is that Jesus has placed us 
where we live, and he has made us priests to God. You and I, wherever we go, are carriers of grace. We are administrators of God's grace. We are stewards of grace to those who are around us. Wherever you live, you have been placed there by Jesus in his service, filled with his spirit to share the love of Christ. And the amazing thing is that the people that God has placed around you are not random. They, too, are placed there to hear from you. But some of you, when you, you hear uh, this from Revelation chapter 1, that, for, that section, verse in uh, verse 5, it, it says, listen, I don't think of myself so much of a priest. That, that word has a lot of baggage for me, and I, I really don't like that. I don't see, that's not how I see myself. I see myself more as a plumber, a carpenter, a teacher. I see myself more as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife. I see myself more as a, an administrator. I see myself more as a this or a that. Well, my friends, welcome to the party. I'm so glad today I have the opportunity to introduce to you what is true of you. No matter how you feel about it, this is true of you. This is who you are because Jesus has shed his blood for you. His blood has purchased for you a brand new identity and a brand new purpose. He has called you to be a priest in his service to God. He has called you to be a carrier, a steward, an administrator of his grace so that all people on this planet, we should of all people who are on this planet, we should be the kind of people who fight and for and protect the places that we live, right? But it's bigger than that now because we are now fighting for the good of those who are around us, for the good of our communities. We are, as priests of his kingdom, we are fighting for the good of humanity. We are to be a people more than anyone else on this planet who actually care for the good of those who are around us. We, we should be caring for them, loving them. So over the past last two weeks, we have been talking about loving our neighbors. And if you are anything like me, as I'm researching this and as I'm writing this, there's moments where I pause and go, oh, do I have to write this? There's a tremendous amount of kind of conviction and there's a lot of challenge. And even what I have been hearing myself say, what myself writing, maybe you're in that category. I feel kind of guilty. I feel convicted. But maybe some of you are going, man, about time that somebody preached on this. Love your neighbor. Get out there. And maybe you feel absolutely affirmed because this is how you are already living. So when Jesus calls us to love our neighbor, the command is so clear and so common that every one of us can say, of course, absolutely. Love God, love our neighbor. Yeah, 
I'm right on it. But where the problem actually comes is the living out the commands, the living out this call that God has given to us. What is difficult is actually living out this command in real life, outside the four walls of a church, living it out and bringing this good news to the people who surround us. It's a lot easier just to, honestly, to rely on the institution of the church, to, to you know, the paid staff, the elders, the deacons, and the ministry leaders, and just say, hey, you guys need to be executing this work on our behalf. Or you guys need to be giving us a great framework. You need to give us activities to come to, hoping that people will, will come to Christ, will come to hear the good news. You, it's a lot easier that way. But here's the deal. When you get to know your neighbors, when you get to know your coworkers and, and, and hear their stories, it becomes, my friends, a lot easier. Right? No, in actual, actuality, when you start hearing their stories, it becomes a lot more difficult. It's difficult to, to follow through on long-term love. It's a challenge at that point, and you begin to ask yourself, so these people in my neighborhood, in my workplace, what does love really look like in this place to these people? What does it mean to love these unique people in this time, in this place, with their particular hurts, bumps, bruises, sin issues, brokenness. And when you ask that kind of question, you, you know, what does love look like? You can tend to find, if you ask around the room and maybe even ask in your living room today, what does love look like? You may have all kinds of different definitions, Right? You are going to have some people, listen, the way that you love people is you tell them the truth. Give it to them, tell it to them, make them turn around or burn in hell. Don't ever soften it. Be hard, be truthful. And then you get some of those who are like, man, love is just, you guys are so hard. And love is this emotive kind of thing, you know? You, you just love them by listening and relating to their story and connecting. Man, that's, that's another way of loving. Or some of you was, man, when it comes to loving other people, I, I, I just love to do the practical things. What can I do for you? What, what, what tangible need do you have? And how can I give that to you? And we often see it done through, through active service. Then there's other ones of you who, when you think about love, you think about justice. We, doing what is right, even if it's going to be difficult in the short term. Justice. That is how to best love other people. The good news is that Jesus has not left us alone to figure this out on our own. He hasn't given us this priestly kind of work with this kind of command and just said, hey, good luck figuring it out. He has clearly laid it out for us as to how we are to love our neighbor so 
what I want you to do is I, I want you to turn again to where we started. Go back to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Jesus is, is saying, he's, he's given this question of, hey, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? So I'm going to be reading. Mark chapter 12, 28 is where we're going to start. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So Jesus is saying, listen, the kind of love that Jesus is talking about is, he's talking, the kind of love that he's talking about is the kind that honors him. The kind that honors him is the kind of love that is filtered through the way you and I would want to be loved. To love others according to the word of God is going to require that you and I step out of our situation, step out of our wants, step out of our desires, out of our needs, and to step into someone else's situation. And that's hard, isn't it? Man, we have all kinds of preconceived notions. We have all kinds of amazing plans for other people's lives. And if they would just listen and do what I want them to do, their life would be so much better. But I believe scripture is saying, listen, I am requiring you to step out of your wants, out of your desires, out of your feelings, and put yourself squarely in their circumstances. This is not a call to sin. This is not a call to be permissive. But it's a, a call to step into other people's life, to ask the question, if I were them, how would I want to be cared for? How would I want to be helped? If I had their story, if I had their struggles, if I had their relationships, how would I want somebody else to help me? And this makes perfect sense if we really think about this, because this is how Jesus did it for us. He actually put himself into our situation, into our into a human, into human flesh. And John 1 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He literally became, if you would, a neighbor. He became one of us. So Jesus is calling us to love our neighbor in the exact way that he did, by coming to people, meeting people. He is willing, Jesus was willing to do whatever it took, whatever it would take to get us back to God. So my friends, if you are a Christian and you believe that the death of Jesus, his death on the cross, that he died for your sins, and his resurrection is the only true way of knowing God, then that should shape, my friends, the way that you love people. 
If Jesus is the greatest and the most loving gift that God gave you, then that is going to necessarily demand and it is going to imply the way that you love your neighbors as yourself. And the best way to love your neighbors as yourself is to show them Jesus for who he really is. Friends, hear this. Not speaking about Jesus to your neighbors or loving your neighbor the way that Jesus has loved you is the most unloving thing you can do for your neighbor. Not speaking about Jesus to your neighbor or loving your neighbor the way that Jesus has loved you speaks of the value and the worth that Jesus has in your life. If you do not tell your neighbor about Jesus in the context of loving them wholeheartedly and neighboring them, you have not loved them. Listen, the pinnacle of loving someone is helping them see Jesus for who he really is. So that is going to entail all the things that you think it would. It is going to entail sharing meals with all kinds of people. It is going to be opening up your home and practicing hospitality towards all kinds of people. It is going to be entailing being an amazing listener. It is going to be entailing empathizing and understanding. It's going to be all about giving of yourself your time, your talent, your treasure. It's going to be about sharing your story and sharing your life. And this is what I can promise you as you get to know your neighbors, about every one of them who, who doesn't know Christ, every story you hear and every burden they are bearing and everything they are trying to find is ultimately found in Jesus. So we are going to love people. We are going to be meeting people's needs. We are going to be the most hospitable people out there and do so with the hopes of moving step by step, moving people towards a relationship, an authentic, real relationship, so that we can speak plainly about life with Christ, sharing our only hope. And this means that we are going to have to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus is the best gift, my friends, that you have ever been given. And that is going to necessarily mean that the way that you love them is going to be all about pointing them to Christ in all that you say and all that you do, both saying and doing. So let's look back at Revelation chapter 1 because there is something else that I want you to understand that is very easily missed in our um, individualized North American context. And it, it's about how God is calling us to love our neighbor for the long haul. And the thing that I want you to see here is that there, there are people who are sharing in 
the mission. Did you pick that up in Revelation? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Three times in this passage, the community of God, us, is emphasized. It is easy to get lost in the meanness of this culture, in, even in our Christian faith. You know, the personal relationship with Jesus. It's all about me and Jesus, how Jesus and I are doing. But we cannot, we cannot lose sight of how God has incorporated you and me into a community of faith to be priests together in God's service. To, in Christ's service, to God, to be carriers, administrators, stewards of grace to our neighbors. So what this means is that everyone who bears the name of Christ, everyone who bears the name of Christian, bears this privilege of loving your neighbors with you. All too often, we, we find ourselves isolating ourselves in mission by not walking with other brothers and sisters who will help us in this long walk of mission. By ourselves, my friends, we are going to be struggling mightily. If we try to do this by ourselves, we are going to struggle mightily to love our neighbors for the long haul. It's easy to hear sermons like the past couple weeks or, and find yourselves you know, cheering from your armchair or giving an amen in church going, preach it, broom. Yes. You find yourselves pumped up and, and ready to go love your neighbors. But my friends, sermons are not meant to be quick fixes. This is going to take time and investment and relationship over the long haul. And eventually, if you are doing this by yourself, you are going to get tired and you are going to drop out. When you bypass meaningful relationships with other Christians in this church, you are bypassing the power that God has for you. And I, I'm not saying that you aren't saved by, by, by what I'm saying here. But it is difficult. And it is going to continue to be difficult for you to be spiritually healthy enough to be obedient to Jesus and carrying out his commands. That is difficult to do by yourself. You see, God has ordained life together within the church so that we receive nourishment and we receive refreshment through the ministry of the word, through singing together, through praying together, through receiving the sacraments. But he has also given us the tremendous gift of a church family. So let me ask you this question. How many times have you stalled out in your faith? How many times have you fallen, even fallen off the map because you have not had any support and no one to share life with? My friends, 
this has happened to me. And it continues to happen in, in moments of my life when I find myself to be isolated. So I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 3. Listen, listen to what the writer has to say. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share, we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So what this text is saying is that God has arranged our lives in such a way that we bump up against one another, do life together, and share faith in such a way that it keeps us from an unbelieving heart, an evil heart, and ultimately a potentially loveless heart. And I don't know about your faith, but I do know enough about my faith that this is something that I, I don't need just every once in a while. I don't need a quick shot of friendship, a quick shot of Christian community, a quick shot from a brother or sister in Christ to encourage me. No, this is something that I need regularly, every day. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews said, listen, I... Exhort one another every day, every day, as long as it is called to today. This implies our regular need for a community in our faith and in our mission. We are the kind of people who are always prone to forget, right? We are the kind of people who are prone to wonder, like that, that hymn that we love to sing. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel prone to Leave the God I love. We, we need to do this thing called the Christian faith and mission together. It keeps us from sin. It keeps us remembering God. And it keeps us obedient to Jesus. We need people who are going to shoot straight when it comes to Christ by keeping us faithfully following after him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. None of us, my friends, just drift into evangelism. We are going to need a community of faith around us to hold us to the fire and say bluntly and lovingly and honestly, are you actually going to be obedient to Jesus? Are, are you actually going to be obedient to Jesus? Or are you, are you taking discipleship like a buffet? Taking what you want because you like it and leaving behind the things that you don't like. My friends, the community of faith actually help us to grow stronger in, in, in our faith, and it helps us to be accountable, to grow in our faith. And not only that, they also help us to be even more effective in reaching our neighbors for Christ. Did you know that God has created the church family in such a way that not one person in our church or any church has all the gifts of the Spirit, has all the talents needed. 
God has not wired it so that there is a super spiritual superhero of the faith. He has designed his church in such a way that we are to be dependent upon each other. In in areas where we are strong, there are going to be other people who are weak and vice versa. There are going to be some people who are great at throwing parties and you know who they are. There are going to be some people who are amazing networkers and connectors. They are just amazing. There are some people who are amazing servants and they love to be behind the scenes. You, You ask them to do something and boom, a gazebo is built. Boom, an egg salad is made. Boom, a dessert like nobody can ever imagine. That was amazing. And then there are other people who are amazing listeners and are able to have these deep and authentic conversations. And then there are those people, those people who have amazing gifts of discernment. Listen, if we truly believe that Christ is worth it and he is the greatest gift to give anybody, why would we try to do it all ourselves when God has given us all the resources within the church to reach this world for Christ? Friends, you are not the end of God's plan to reach people, but you are one of the means that God uses to reach people. God is still saving people, and he is still using people to do it. So it is absolutely true that that Jesus loved us, and Jesus freed us from our sins, and by his blood, Jesus has made us a kingdom and priest to his God, priests of his grace, and he has placed us within a neighborhood to be loved. He has given us a workplace that we are to be working and showing the love of Christ, sharing the love of Christ. He has given us the place right where we are. He's given us classrooms. He has given us friendships. But he has also given us each other. He has also given us each other to be effective in going and making disciples and loving our neighbor. So are these kind of relationships in in this kind of community going to be easy? Absolutely not. It is not going to be dreamy. It is not going to be a cakewalk. It's hard because we are sinners bumping up against one another. And we're also going to have, my friends, we are going to have disagreements when it comes to the who's and the how's of reaching people. We we are going to have disagreements on what love means and how it should be expressed in the context of the varying relationships that are around us. So don't think that this is going to be easy. But I tell you this. Doing life and obeying Jesus together in community is better than doing it alone because it's contrary to God's wiring. So here's my prayer. I am praying that the Spirit of God would stir you and me afresh to be a a missionary kind of people thinking, the missionary kind of people who are thinking about the fact that we were first served by a missionary Savior who came into our world and did what it took 
to save us from the wrath of God so that we can have life, abundant life, here and forever. My friends, we were saved for this. We were saved to exist for this, and we were saved to exist for the glory of God and reaching people as a church and as an individual glorifies God. My friends, would you pray with me? Father God, would you stir deep within us a longing, a passion that leads ultimately to loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. And Lord, would that stir in us in such a way that we would be a missionary kind of people that desires to love our neighbors as ourself. We thank you, God, for the free gift of grace that you have given to us. And Lord, may we become that kingdom, the priest to you who administer grace, that tell the truth about Jesus, that serve people with our actions and our words. Lord, may we grow in this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I am looking forward to the day, and I believe it is coming soon, where we will be meeting together again in this building. But until that time, grow. Grow in your knowledge. Grow in your grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Start practicing gospel hospitality today. Brainstorm together how you can be actually implementing this. Connect with your missional communities. Get on Zooms and FaceTimes and Google Meetups and all those kind of ways to say, how can we do this together? And I need you to hold me accountable. But until that time, my friends, receive the Lord's blessing. Lift up your hearts and your hands. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord be with you and also with you. Now go in peace.